Our scripture today is taken from Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. This is the word of God. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Thus says the Lord. For many people around the world, the year 2020 will probably be remembered as a year that was full of suffering. Some of the tragedies that occurred in the world were things like natural disasters, floods, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions that killed hundreds of people and left millions more homeless, including large bushfires that killed as many as 500 million animals. There were also angry protests that broke out in many cities across America and around the world due to the murder of George Floyd by police officers. Several famous athletes and celebrities also died unexpectedly, seemingly in the prime of their lives. Most notably, however, the coronavirus uh, epidemic triggered a global recession as many countries around the world went into lockdown as the number of confirmed cases rose to over 15 million, as many more uh, died from the pandemic. Perhaps some of you who are listening today have even been affected by this pandemic as well. Maybe you've had loved ones or someone you know that's been personally impacted by this virus. They've gotten sick, they've lost their jobs, or are just suffering from the mental and emotional effects of isolation and loneliness. And our experience as believers, as Christians in the world, reminds us that, that things are not the way they should be in life, that there's something inherently wrong with the world that we live in. And unfortunately, as Christians, we ourselves are not excluded from pain and suffering in life. In fact, Paul has just got through telling us in verse 17 that suffering is actually a necessary condition if we are to be glorified as God's children. And so for Paul, it's very important for us as Christians that we have the right attitude and mindset in life towards suffering because he knows that suffering is a part of life. It goes hand in hand with living in a fallen world. And so Paul's goal for us as believers is to teach us how to suffer well in life, especially because our sufferings has the potential to impact our joy as Christians. So if we're not careful, our sufferings may even cause us to stumble in our faith. And throughout church history, 
There have been many people who have abandoned their faith in God and left the church on account of their sufferings. They've lost a child, been diagnosed with cancer, or wounded personally by someone in the church, and unfortunately, they turned their backs on God and left the church. But if there's one thing that Paul wants us to understand, it's this, that Christianity and suffering are not incompatible with one another. Nobody suffered more than Paul himself, and yet he remained a devoted Christian throughout his entire life. How did he do that? How are you and I going to be able to endure our very own sufferings in this life? So a correct understanding, I believe, of suffering will help us to respond more faithfully to all of life's trials and tribulations. Now, with that being said, we'll examine our passage today under three headings, three headings. Paul's explanation of suffering, creation's anticipation, and our ultimate glorification as believers. But first, Paul's explanation of suffering. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. So in order to help us better understand and endure our sufferings in this life as believers, Paul begins with a simple explanation. How is it that suffering came to pass in the world? He refers to it as sufferings of this present time. Notice, what does that mean? Is Paul talking about the sufferings of the present time that he lived in? Or is he talking about the sufferings of the present time that we currently live in now? Well, I think Paul is talking about sufferings in general, as a whole. Sufferings as it relates to all of human history. You see, this, and that would include the present evil age that we're living in now. And the reason that Paul, I think, is talking about it this way is because all suffering, whether the suffering Paul endured or the suffering that we're enduring today, all suffering can be traced back to the fall of Adam in the Garden of Eden. You see, since the fall of Adam, the history of mankind has been marked by suffering. And so Paul is telling us that the reason that suffering exists in the first place is because sin exists. And so natural sufferings like Earthquakes, famines, and diseases, sicknesses, and death, they're all a direct result of sin. But Paul also has in mind certain moral sufferings, right? Because he doesn't want to let us off the hook. And these moral sufferings come directly from our hearts as sinners. Things like our anger, pride, envy, covetousness, and envy. Think of all the sins in our hearts that's impacted people over a long period of time. Things like our disobedience to our parents. We've often been jealous and envious of other people, how often we lied and used foul language, how often our actions and our words hurt other people. But not only that, think about the suffering that you yourself has personally endured at the hands of other people. Think about how that felt. You see, all that has happened as a direct result of sin in the world. So Paul is saying that all of the sufferings that exist, all the sufferings that we experience, can be traced back to sin. But as difficult as our sufferings are in this life, as painful as they may be, Paul says, surprisingly, that he considers them not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, 
What is Paul trying to tell us? What does he mean by that? Well, notice the phrase, I consider, in verse 18. The English translation of this word is where we get the term logic from. So Paul is making a logical conclusion about our present sufferings in light of our future glory. And this is what he's saying. He's saying that the trials that we experience here on earth, in time, they're infinitely less in proportion to the glory that will be ours in heaven. And therefore, there's no logical comparison between the two. You know, John Newton used an illustration that I, might, I think might help us to grasp this. Newton lived in the 18th century, when in order to travel, you had to use a carriage which was drawn by a horse. And so Newton wrote about a man who was on his way to collect a large inheritance, $5 million in the 18th century. Think of how much that was. So as this man was on his way in his carriage, his carriage, his carriage broke down. Now Newton says of this man, he had to walk the rest of the way. Now think about it. If this man, while he was walking the rest of the way, if we saw him wringing his hands in anger, right, and yelling and screaming, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, we would think that that person is being quite foolish, right? What does he care about a carriage when he's on his way to an inheritance that is infinitely great, right? And that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. You see, even though we might suffer here on earth for a short time, we are on our way to an inheritance that is far greater than our present sufferings. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Now, don't get me wrong, Paul's not trying to minimize our sufferings because he knows that our sufferings in life are very real and personal and intense for us. And they're often extremely painful. And yet, think about it, Paul is not afraid to tell us that ultimately they do not compare with the glory that is to be ours as God's children. So Paul wants us to be encouraged in the midst of our sufferings because the benefits far outweigh our present sufferings, the price that we've called to, been called to pay in this life. And even though our sufferings may weigh heavily upon us in this life and often burden us so much that we feel we can't bear the weight of our sufferings, Paul is saying to us, don't let the pain of these sufferings turn us away from a steadfast faith and trust in God. Don't let it turn you away from your faith. It's Paul's explanation of suffering. And our second point is creation's anticipation. Creation's anticipation. Look at verses 19 through 22 with me. For the creation waits eagerly, longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Now, here Paul tells us, right, that we are not alone in the process of suffering in this life, Right? because we're not the only ones who are waiting to be delivered from it. Ironically, the creation itself is also waiting to be delivered from suffering. And so Paul, speaking of the creation, attributes human emotions to the created order in order to drive his point home. And he uses language about the creation as if it were an actual person. 
a real person. So he refers to the creation as groaning. Now, what does it mean to groan? Well, to groan, when we groan as human beings, it's our inward, deep response to suffering as human beings, right? You know, it's, it's an agony that we experience that cannot simply be put into words. You know, my wife and I lived in Finland, and we had a, a friend who was an African who went to church with us. Well, this friend died, and we had his funeral at our church. And at his funeral was a friend from Africa who performed this ritual called a death well. So this person stood by his casket, and she just intensely groaned for several minutes. It was the most amazing thing I had ever seen. And I think Paul is trying to paint a similar picture to us of the groaning of creation, right? He's describing creation as, as groaning intensely and awaiting its deliverance from bondage. Paul goes on to describe creation in even more human terms by referring to it as waiting with eager longing. And the word that's translated eager longing here is quite interesting, right? It has reference to a person standing on his tiptoes and stretching his neck, uh, gazing out with eager anticipation for what is coming. And this is how Paul describes the hope of creation, as he's telling us that creation is so very excited for its very own redemption that it can hardly wait, because the creation itself is also longing for the deliverance of the sons of God, that creation itself might be delivered as well. And why is creation pictured like this? Why does Paul picture creation uh, long, waiting in this way, standing on his tiptoes and gazing out into the future? Well, one scholar says that the word translated futility, that be, the creation has been subject to futility. That word futility means the ineffectiveness of something that does not meet its goal. In other words, Paul is telling us that creation has not met its goal. It is not what it was intended to be by God. It has been subjected to futility. Everything that God created suffered when Adam sinned. You know, you might remember in the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, the white witch Jadis, as she took control of Narnia, she magically condemned the city of Narnia to suffer an eternal winter so that there would not be any summer or spring at all. And I think Paul is telling us this is something similar, that God subjected the creation and condemned it to futility. Why? Because of the sin of Adam. And now, suffering is a universal phenomenon because it's woven into the very fabric of creation itself. And this is why our bodies grow old and die. This is why we struggle with sickness and weakness and disease and pandemics. This is why there are earthquakes, floods, and all kinds of natural disasters. It's all due to the futility of creation. And no matter how hard we try in life to reverse this process, it's just a waste of time because corruption and deterioration now characterize life in a fallen world. Now, what does that mean for us as Christians, right? What does that mean for us as believers? How should we view life? in a world that we know is futile and condemned by God and ultimately intended to be destroyed. Well, I think there are two ways that people respond to all the pain and suffering in the world. And both of them are actually within themselves forms of denial, right? People try to cope 
with the futility of life in a fallen world by inventing realities uh, of their own. And the first is asceticism, where people try to escape the material world, right, by completely withdrawing from it altogether. And ascetics actually believe that they're being super spiritual by withdrawing from all the evils in the world and practicing different forms of self-denial in order to not participate in any pleasure in life. That's the first way. The second way that people respond to the pain and sufferings in the world is what we call materialism, right? And materialists have the attitude that like, oh, this life is all you have, right? So you might as well live it up. You might as well seek to get everything you can while you can. And many of them try to escape the pain and suffering in the world by putting all their time and energy into the accumulation of pleasure and material and physical wealth. While the materialist ends up overvaluing the world, right, so that he could have more, the ascetic winds up undervaluing the world so that he could have less. But as Christians, however, we're not commanded to go to either extreme, right? We're commanded to find a medium, a means between both of those extremes, right? Because we're not commanded to be too attached to the world like the materials. Neither are we commanded to be too detached from the world like the ascetic, right? As Christians, we can appreciate everything in the world that God made, right? Because God is the giver of all good things, right? And he has entrusted us to be stewards of all the good things that he's given us. And so we can appreciate as Christians things like beauty and art and culture. And we can enjoy these things all to the glory of God because they were created by God and only condemned because of sin. And yet, as Christians, we have the understanding that this world is temporary. So we don't have to attach ourselves to it, neither do we have to attach, detach from it because we look forward to another world, a new creation, whose builder and maker is God. And so Paul is telling us that the creation itself will one day be redeemed, which means that as Christians, we will one day have a physical life, right? Our future will one day be physical. We will all enjoy the infinite beauty of a glorious new creation, the new heavens and the new earth that will be abundantly physical in nature, creation's anticipation. And our last point is our very own glorification as believers. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, now, hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So Paul is telling us that our present condition as Christians is very similar to that of the creation. If the creation itself groans to be delivered from its bondage, how much more so do we as believers groan to be inward, delivered from the inward corruptions of our very own hearts. You see, as those who've been redeemed, we continue to feel this frustration of the battle that goes on in our hearts between the flesh and the spirit, which is at war within our very souls. Our very own indwelling sin causes us to groan inwardly, like the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 7, 
uh, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And make no mistake about it. This is a form of suffering, right? This battle between the flesh and the spirit in our hearts is a form of suffering. And all of us who possess God's spirit, we can relate to Paul's experience, right? Because we all feel that the same spirit that moved in Paul and caused him to groan over his own sin is the same spirit that also moves and causes us to groan in like manner. You see, our suffering, sufferings and groanings as Christians is a direct result of the Holy Spirit living within us. No person could groan to be delivered from sin unless that person had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit actually causes us to suffer this way in life. Why? So that we might long to be delivered from sin, that we might long for our new home in heaven. And so the Spirit causes us to groan in this way. And this groaning within, within us, it bears witness to us that we are children of God. It's proof that we belong to him and evidence of the future redemption of our very bodies. Now, what does Paul mean by the redemption of our bodies? Well, it certainly means that one day we will experience freedom from sin. All of us will receive glorified bodies in heaven and we will no longer be able to sin. Having glorified us, God will recreate all things to suit our condition perfectly for heaven. And even creation itself will participate in our freedom and glory as mountains, streams, clouds, trees. They will all be delivered from their present corruption and transformed into glory. Think of it. Everything that causes pain in life will all be removed. Think of all the things that, that hinders our joy presently in this life. Think of things like depression, anxiety, addiction, disease, and death. All these things, all these sufferings exist as a result of sin. But they will have no place in our future, in the kingdom of God, in eternity. Think about this for a minute that even in the midst of the sufferings that we experience in this life, there are still, from time to time, little moments where we experience extreme amounts of happiness and joy, even in this fallen world and all the problems that we have in it. There are moments that we experience that. Now, if we're able to have these moments, right, of joy and happiness in a sinful and fallen condition, in a sinful and fallen body and environment, how much more will we enjoy life in a perfect body, in a perfect world? How much happier will we be every minute of the day, every second of the day? You see, in heaven, we will be completely and perfectly happy for all time. You know, I think all of us can remember a time when we were on a family vacation. And it was a perfect family vacation. On that vacation, we had everybody that we loved along with everybody that we cared about in the world with us. And we were having so much fun in that moment of time that we wanted to stop time and just live in that moment, right? We literally wanted that moment to last forever. Why? 
because we were extremely happy. And I think that's a microscopic picture of heaven that Paul is trying to paint for us. Because we will all have perfect bodies to go along with a perfect environment, to go along with our perfect relationship with God and other people. So we will be perfect in perfect fellowship with everything. And perfection is the very essence of heaven itself. And Paul is telling us as Christians, like, this is our hope. Paul wants us to fix our eyes on it, the hope of the resurrection. These are the things that we will enjoy. So instead of focusing on our sufferings, he wants us to long for the glory of the resurrection. So as Christians, what what does this mean for us? It means not to be consumed with worry over the coronavirus and all the effects, the negative effects that it brings. Don't be consumed with frustration over the current presidential election that's happening in America. Don't be consumed with all the negativity in the world that consumes us through the local news and social media. Because these things tend to shatter our hope and to crush our spirits as Christians. And so Paul says, remember, in this hope you were saved, the hope of the resurrection. See, our destiny is the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so as Christians, we hope for what we do not see. And that's the very definition of hope. Because all suffering, everything that we see with our physical eyes in this world, all the suffering, all the pain, all the heartache, that tends to shatter our hopes, right? There is no hope in that. So when we as Christians hope for what we do not see, we begin then to wait for it with patience. And again, this doesn't mean that we just become passive or inactive as Christians, no. As Christians, we should continue on working for social justice. We, can, we should continue to fight for peace and truth. We should continue to work to alleviate as much pain and suffering in the world as possible. But it does mean, however, that we be realistic about pain and suffering as Christians in the world. Because as God's people, more than anyone else, we understand why suffering happens in the world, right? And we also understand how people can be delivered from it through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so patience, what does patience call us to do? Patience calls us then to pray for one another and to continue to preach the gospel to other people. Patience calls us to endure our present suffering so that our sufferings and our endurance may be a witness to other people, to win them to Christ. Patience calls us to long for the great day of our deliverance. If you're listening today and you've not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith, you're currently living without any real and genuine hope. And to die without Christ's blood to cover your sins will forever end any chance of hope that you have right now at this very moment of receiving Christ by faith. Please, beg you, come to the Lord Jesus Christ and share in his inheritance because his inheritance is an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled that is kept in heaven for all who trust in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this message, Lord, of encouragement 
We thank you, Lord, that our future is truly bright in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you will deliver us, Lord, from our present sufferings, and you will cause us, Lord, to inherit something far greater than we could ever have imagined. Father, I pray if there are any here, Lord, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would work in their hearts, Lord, and that you would grant them faith, that you would cause them, O oh Lord, to live according to the hope that we have in Christ. And for those of us who are believers, O oh Lord, may you help us to patiently wait and endure all of our present sufferings, Lord, that we might inherit eternal glory. Thank you so much, Father. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.